I'm Danica Juarez. And I'm Jan James. And this is How's It Hold Up? Hi, I'm Danica. And I'm Jan. And I'm Valerie. And today we watched the Disney Silly Symphony, Three Little Pigs. So this is a short based on the classic fable about the three pigs, uh, one who builds their house of straw, one of sticks, and one of uh, bricks, and um, the big bad wolf who's trying to eat them. Uh, since this is the Disney version, none of the pigs die and the wolf doesn't die because <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a silly little Disney cartoon. Um, and there's also a song in here that was fairly popular. Uh, I'm not going to bother like going more into detail about what the Three Little Pigs is. Yeah. He, he tries to blow on the house and he blows away two I'll of the... And, and, and he blows blow. away two of the houses because they're weaker and then he can't blow away the brick one. What did we think of this cartoon? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I thought it was good. It was good. It was very good. It was very pretty, too. Eye candy. Yes, it's in a gorgeous Technicolor that I think at this point, Disney still has the exclusive uh, production rights on, at least in the realm of cartoons. I don't know if that extends to, to movies or not. Um, but yes, it looks very good, um, which like shorts can look good in black and white also, but... This is in color and it looks very nice. Probably the best one of the Disney color ones that we've seen. Like, I think it looks notably better than um, the the King Neptune one. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think the colors pop a lot more here. Uh, Part of that is that this uh, was on uh, Disney Plus, so it's in beautiful HD, whereas the Neptune one I did not have in HD. But I think it's a a little beyond that, too. I think the color choices were just really good. Um, and it also really makes sense, sorry, because yeah. because you have such a basic story, but then you have the very distinct, um, you know, hay house, you know, yellow hay, and then the brown sticks. But then even I really like the color and the deviation uh, of some of the stone and, and masonry work for the brick house. So, yeah. Let's get specific, by which I mean some fun facts. Uh, this was directed by Burt Gillett um, in its... Uh, he, he did a lot of uh, early Disney, Mickey, and Silly Symphony shorts, including, I think, some of the ones that we've already watched. Um, but he would uh, eventually leave Disney and was, I think, mostly poached by another studio because of the success of this particular short. Mm. Uh, let, me, let me put into perspective how big this short was. This cartoon was phenomenally successful with audience of the day, so much so that theaters ran the cartoon for months after its debut to great financial response. Some venues ran the film for such long runs that hand-drawn beards were added to marquees and one-sheet posters. <laughs> the short cost $22,000 and ended up grossing $250,000. Wow. And it is still considered to be the most successful animated short ever made. Wow. The short won the 1934 Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film of 1933. In 1994, it was voted number 11 of the 50 greatest cartoons of all time by members of the animation field. Wow. In 2007, Three Little Pigs was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being considered culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. 
Wow. Um, it's also notable that this cartoon ended up having three official sequels and a fourth cartoon made for the National Film Board of Canada to promote war bonds. That fourth film, <laughs> oh, that fourth film primarily utilizes reused footage from this original cartoon. Uh, the other three films, while moderately successful, never remotely approached the success of the original, prompting Disney to kind of lose faith in sequels as a concept mm. and to develop the motto, you can't top pigs with pigs. <laughs> Yeah, you know. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, so let's talk some about the story and characters. And I'll, I'll do one more note here, which is that part of the reason for the short success was its story, which benefited from an important innovation made around the time Pigs was in development, a story department separate from the animators with storyboard artists who were dedicated to working on a story development phase of the production pipeline. Previous to that, making cartoons was more about like, suggesting gags yeah, <laughs> rather than like yeah. caring about any concept of a story. Um, but this clearly has a story and story departments would definitely become more of a thing among Disney and other studios as time went on. Uh, but yeah, what, what do we think about the story and characters here? Well, I was just going to say as far as the characters, I, I really do like, even though this was such a short, you know, obviously a, a short, yeah. uh, very, um, very brief, you still had your personalities that they developed initially that they stayed consistent with, which, which was really nice. Just that, that very uh, laid back, um, relaxed of, especially the first two. I would just say the first two pigs maybe aren't real distinguishable other than, um, you know, they... They They're not super distinguishable from each other. Exactly. But they are very distinguishable from Practical Pig. Yes. Their, their names are Pfeiffer Pig, the Straw House one, Fiddler Pig, the Sticks one, and Practical Pig. The yeah. other two are just <laughs> named after the instruments they play. But I love how they just keep, who's afraid of the big pig? And, and they keep playing that, and then they get scared. And then they, <laughs> you know, and then they get scared. And then they yeah. go back and forth. It's really cute. And then, and then the Practical Pig. I like how he's kind of grumps and grumpy. But then, hey, he's a good little piano player. So. Yeah, he is. He <laughs> but, gets pretty sassy with that piano, honestly. Yes, yes, yes. But but I, I love the pictures in his room. That's another different one. The mom and the, the father, mother, father. Um, but I, I just, yeah. That, and two is even cute with when they came in. It's like, you know, you weren't practical, but now we're all here. You're safe, you know. So I, I like that. That kind of then, I don't know, protective little vibe and and then the little scaredy cats that kept running underneath the bed. So, yeah, just cute, consistent characterization, personality that they developed. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you pointed out that there's uh, a story department. I think that is obvious now that I know that. Because, like, the short didn't have cutaways to gags or just leading up into gags. It was the beginning had um, the two pigs that had their own songs to kind of tell the, tell the audience who they are. Um, and, and they were cute within them and delightful, but like, it wasn't, um, wasn't a gag a mile a minute kind of thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was fo- character focused rather than gag focused, I guess. Yeah. And it was still enjoyable. There was humor and like how the, the rooms were set up. Like you mentioned with practical pigs home. Um, yeah, you didn't actually say, but the the mother picture is like a, a big pig with some little piglets, I think, suckling or whatever. But the father picture is some sausages. So <laughs> a little bit of dark humor there. Yeah, and they have an Uncle Otto who's a who's a football, a pigskin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, like there, there's funny stuff there. 
yeah, I guess when, when, again, like mentioning the story, it wasn't as gag focused, but it was, it was really just like a solid, uh, a solid short. The momentum of the short didn't lag or anything like that. It was, uh, as a package, just really good. I like, I was just even thinking of the second one, uh, where when they went, when the first pig went to the second pig, the, the stick house, and they were, of course, scared. They hid, hid under the rug. And I like how they keep having them hide. But then when the big bad wolf was going to blow down the house, and I, and I like, I, I kind of, I missed kind of the huff and I'll puff and I'll blow it, but that would have made it even longer. But again, he's just like, I'm going to blow your house down. And so when he's blowing the house down, uh, well, one is I like at the very beginning with the, with the straw house pig. And I forgot what you said that pig's Pfeiffer. name was. Pfeiffer. When Pfeiffer was running and hiding from him, you see when you cut to the inside and seeing Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer had put all of their furniture against the door. You should say Pfeiffer pig because like saying practical, oh. p- just saying practical as a name doesn't work. So I think mm-hmm. they're just, they're supposed Got to be yeah. name pig, Pfeiffer pig. Yeah. So when Pfeiffer pig was barred, barred himself or herself into the house, and then it cuts to the inside of the house. You see that they had placed all their furniture against the door. Yeah. Uh, and so, and then when when it all came down, they were able to run off. And then when they went, when both, when they were in the straw house, or sorry, the stick house, the stick house, um, they were hiding underneath underneath the rug. But sorry, the kind of funny was when they, when he, when the big bad wolf blows down the house, you see them holding and, and trying to bar the door and then all that's left is a door and they're still trying to bar the door and then then they realize or feel something and they look up and of course nothing's around them so then they of course they run off but that was anyway that was cute I, yeah i think it i think it shows that there's I, I think it just kind of shows the evolution of humor in these cartoons is that it doesn't have to be constant gags and some of the gags that are there they're not necessarily thinkers, but it's like a little more complex than just like character has noodly arms and stretches, you know, like it's, it's just, there's, there's more to it, I guess. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's fascinating to watch, uh, that evolution. I also liked when the big bad wolf, uh, I don't know, tries to trick him and act as if he went away on a horse, but then he comes back and he puts himself into a basket, like a big laundry basket and covers himself with the sheepskin. But then I'm not sure how, but they're like, you're not going to fool me with that old sheepskin. Other portrayals, the first two pigs weren't very bright and that's part of and why it still they seems were, like yeah. they're probably not too bright, not too but... bright but, but they weren't fooled by that. So yeah. I just mean, yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah, uh, Big Bad Wolf definitely has a, a big presence. And dipping into voice acting a little bit, uh, part of the reason for that is that he's voiced by Billy Bletcher, who was a known comedic actor of the time. Um, but his success in the role of the Big Bad Wolf led him to getting cast as Mickey's archenemy Pete, among many other oh villainous roles goodness. in animation. So yeah, oh he has a bit. He has a big, powerful voice. He does. Yeah, he does. Oh wow! I was going to say it was a very menacing voice. Yeah. Oh my goodness! I did so not he, realize that's Pete. Basically, because of this, he ends up being cast as Pete, who at this point doesn't have a consistent voice actor. I think the last Mickey cartoon we watched that had him, he was voiced by Pinto Colvig, better known for doing goofy and also in this short pinto colvig is here voicing the practical pig and mm-hmm. a certain other 
He also briefly voices the big bad wolf in the original version for a part that we'll talk about in a different section. Oh, I think I know what you're going to say. Uh, Pfeiffer Pig and Fiddler Pig, meanwhile, are voiced by Dorothy Compton and Mary Motor, who I think were more known for um, being freelance singers than than voice acting. Uh, Mm. But I think they did a good job. Yeah, with the singing of the song, though. Yeah. Yeah, great, great song of the Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf. Definitely. Uh, we will definitely be talking more about that song. Um, but but yeah, I, I, Big Bad Wolf is is definitely a... I would go so far as to say it's it's between him and Practical Pig, who is the most memorable character in here. And I, I kind of give it to him, and I think history bears it out because he tends to be the one that cameos in other things the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just... He's the big bad wolf, you know, and like mm-hmm. the concept of the big bad wolf will appear in many other people's cartoons. Like Warner Brothers will have like five different versions of him, just depending on what's needed in a cartoon. Um, but like this particular big bad wolf that is the Disney version, he he appears past this, not even just in the direct sequels to this, of which, again, there are like three, um, but also in in comics in uh in a Mickey Mouse another Mickey Mouse short that has a select celebrities in it mm-hmm. um in stuff like House of Mouse later and stuff like the Big Bad Wolf is he's pretty iconic you know this version of him yeah I really liked he was very menacing looking and I just everything from the fur to to his size I mean to his um his his snout his teeth uh, yeah, very, very intimidating. In contrast, I wasn't a real big fan of the look of the pigs. I don't know. <laughs> they just weren't. They're, I think they're made even cuter in the sequels, honestly. But Their you, shape and all was really cute. It was just their faces and and, and Their the eyes snouts. are kind of small. Yeah. I feel like they're bigger in later ones. Because, yeah, their eyes are pretty small, which is interesting. It felt like the, the wolf's um, design was a little more fluid than the pigs. Like... With his face and his eyes, like, it felt like it wasn't consistent throughout the short, but it felt like the pigs had a, a pretty stable look. Yeah. Which isn't, you know, a value judgment, but it was just interesting. I think we're also, we're entering kind of an era where, at least at Disney, animation is being assigned not so much by scene or whatever, but by character. So I think that there was... I, uh, like particular people who tended to work on the pigs versus worked on the big bad wolf throughout this short. Um, there were several of, of the, of the big people that of the nine old men and stuff. Some of them worked on it. Um, and let's dip into Fre- animation. So I can talk about Fred Moore who started at the studio in August, 1930 at the age of 19 rose to prominence as an animator and ended up working on this short. He developed an integral attitude of the characters' bodies as they followed through with their actions, called squash and stretch, as it became known. Meant, uh, it meant that the, the volume and the curved forms of the pig's bodies remained consistent as they altered shape by the force of pulling or pushing. Uh, Moore's introductory scenes with Pfeiffer, Fiddler, and Practical Pig attested to these new methods of flexibility and character animation. This impressed his fellow colleagues and Walt Disney himself. It proved so influential that other animation studios proceeded to implement squash and stretch as a concept, rendering rubber hose animation begun in the late teens almost archaic. Um, I I can't I cannot 
overstate the importance that squash and stretch has in the animation field. It is taught nowadays as a fundamental tenet of how you animate, period. Like, it is important, and the way that you can most see it in this short is that when you're looking at their their how their limbs and stuff move and how their bodies move it's not just the 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 wiggliness and stuff of of that rubber hose animation it's starting to have more realism to it but also when they do unrealistic things the thing with squash and stretch is that the volume of the body stays the same so like the big bad wolf puffing up his chest the lower part of him has to get smaller you know yeah and that's it's not like jokes like that hadn't like visual gags like that hadn't existed in rubber hose animation, but they hadn't been implemented as like the fundamental like design for the whole thing, you know? And it, it quickly becomes the only way that Disney does animation. And yeah, it seeps into everything. Like the classic Looney Tunes and stuff that you think of are all employing it too. (laughs) Like it's, it's just a fundamental aspect of the animation field and i don't think this is the first cartoon that fred moore implemented it on but given the popularity and reach of it i think it is easy to say that it is the most influential cartoon in that that when it comes to squash and stretch like this is the thing that everyone saw that made them be like maybe we should do this wow uh, also, at uh, one point, animator Chuck Jones, who you might know from uh, Looney Tunes, observed that this was the first time that anybody ever brought characters to life in an animated cartoon. There were three characters who looked alike and acted differently. And yeah, sure, two of them act pretty similar. But the fact that there's a difference between these three pigs at all when they like have the same basic character design minus costumes was impressive <laughs> back then. Like that wasn't. I mean, think about all of the other uh, lead characters that we see in these other cartoons of this day. They're just Mickey. And Mickey himself isn't even that characterful, you know? Like, he's fun and cute, but, like, there's nothing differentiating him from what everyone else is doing and vice versa. Um, There's not a whole lot of difference even between Minnie and Mickey other than she's a girl and she has different clothes you know but this is like three pigs that look almost the same except for their clothes but act super different it, it, it's interesting like reflecting on watching it it was enjoyable but to us not as groundbreaking right. as it was then <laughs> mm-hmm. because it is employing the stuff that is essential today yeah so yeah. That's kind of hard to it's the best, reflect on. Exactly. Like the that's but that is part of why we do this chronologically, because it's like the best thing that we can possibly compare it to is what we've been watching with these shorts so far. Yeah. And like just thinking about how they compare. Like and when I and I do want to mention that most studios end up employing squash and stretch, but one of the notable ones that pretty much doesn't um, until they're closed is Fleischer Studios. They keep doing the rubber hose stuff because that's what works for them and it's yeah. part of their style or whatever. Um, but it it just becomes so dominant in the industry that it's, it's weird to not have it today. Like, I mean, I would even... I think even probably stuff like Adventure Time that obviously to some degree is taking influence from Rubber Hose Animation with their noodly arms and stuff is still for a lot of its stuff utilizing concepts like Squash and Stretch because it's just it's almost impossible not to nowadays. 
I wish that he had gotten more credit if he's the one who came up with something that innovated. I mean, he's a pretty well-known dude, but the general public doesn't really recognize the names of animators. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I've i mentioned the Nine Old Men, as they're referred to, which are some of, like, basically the most well-known classic Disney animators. Mm-hmm. But if I said their names you guys wouldn't recognize them beyond maybe hearing me say say it before. Yeah. I just mean it's a shame because, you wow. kn- But you recognize Chuck Jones's name, don't you? Mm-hmm. Because Chuck Jones actually, like, made himself well. Like, he, he put effort into a public image and, like, to some degree, maybe he took credit for more things than he should have, but also to some degree, he did make some amazing things and he made himself a household name, but he had to work at that. And that's not a thing that most animators get. Like even a lot of the other animators, probably at Looney Tunes, like, do you recognize the name Fritz Freeling, Tex Avery, Tex Avery, Tex Avery, you do. He's another one who kind of, he, he kind of made his name known. Um, There's, there's just, uh, or uh, Robert McKimson was one of the big ones at um, at Warner Brothers. Um, yeah, like, there's just not a lot of animators that people know the names of. Because it's one of those things that is just, people appreciate the animation, but they don't appreciate that the like the individuals who do it the um we'll talk more about why we watched part of it but that uh clip of the original version of this short that i showed you you might have noticed the names up in the corner and that's because the overall purpose of that video was showing the names of the people who worked on each scene so like it would switch back and forth because there were different animators working on it but the goal of animation is generally not to make it super clear who individually did each scene. You want it all to flow together. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times you'll end up with a thing where even if five people worked on a thing, there's one name that anyone even sees, you know, they'll see the director usually. (laughs) And it's like, sometimes the director did almost all of it, like with some of the older Fleischer shorts. Um, And sometimes the director had like four people working under them and are, and did almost no actual animation. And you can't tell the difference most of the time, unless you're the sort of nerd who really looks into it. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like voice acting in the sense that it is, it's a really kind of undervalued, the individuals that put the work in. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's 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 what it reminds me of today. That, of course, I get so wrapped up in his voice acting. Um, of course, again, huge Critical Role fan and, and all that good stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I just really appreciate good voice acting because of video games, because of animation, all of that. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Uh, today, you have someone like James Baxter. Like, mm. you, the names are associated with exceptional things yes um so like individually it's really hard so yeah like james baxter or the guy who does um in more classic disney with like the head shake in like uh robin hood uh like there's a guy who does a particular uh animates a particular head waggle and and so like that's where you can kind of pull names but but again it's like exceptional things not seem to see or like people who who 
were a sm- were like a relatively smaller part, but then made a big name for themselves, like Don Bluth, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Who did start off doing animation, but eventually got to the point where he was directing and then went off and made his own competing studio. You hear about him because of that going off and creating his own competing studio thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, if he had just stayed at Disney the whole time, would you necessarily know him? Probably not, honestly. Just nerds who look into... Stuff like, like, I mean, honestly, with a lot of Disney movies, you don't even know who directed it. It's like not until, generally speaking, the Renaissance that people even paid a little bit of attention to that. Like who 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 directed Robin Hood? I can't even tell you off the top of my head. Um, Yeah, it's animation is interesting and the way that it's just undervalued as an art form. Well, big shout out and love to animators and voice <laughs> actors and actresses because you guys are amazing. Well, let's move a little bit off of animation as much as we love to talk about it and talk some about the sound design. Specifically, let's talk about that song. The original song, um, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf, was composed by Frank Churchill and was a best-selling single at the time. Um the success of Disney's first smash hit song actually surprised him. Uh, customers in music stores clamored for sheet music of this song, but none had been prepared. <laughs> Disney sent his musicians to the theater to copy the words and music from the screen to appease those demands. Aww. Yeah, this basically like uh, the musical careers of kids on Disney Channel wouldn't exist without this, I think. Aww, <laughs> like this, so this kick started the idea that <clears throat> Disney could make a lot of money selling music from his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. This Great. this It's important in that way. Uh, other reasons that this was so popular at the time is that the song uh, mirrored the people's resolve against the big bad wolf of the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. It actually yeah. became something of an anthem of the Great Depression back in 1933, but it kind of continued having relevancy even into the 40s where it shifted and became more of a... Uh, when the Nazis started like expanding their boundaries uh, of Germany in the years preceding World War II, this song started becoming, um, started representing the complacency of the Western world and allowing Fuhrer Adolf Hitler to make considerable acquisitions of territory without going to war. It be- the Big Bad Wolf became Hitler, and and we were the pigs. We were practical pig, maybe. Who who could say? But it, we it, the singer, but right, right. The but other it, pigs is the West. Right. Yeah. It it just became this thing that was enough of a loose metaphor to work even a decade later, um, even yep. though. Other aspects of it didn't work a decade later, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah, this song was huge. This song was on radio. This song, everyone knew it back then. (laughs) And it has been covered since then uh, by multiple other people too. But yeah, this song was a hit. I'm curious about how it is constructed in terms of in the short, it wasn't like sung the whole way. Right. Uh, It stops and starts a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I... Yeah, I'm curious what the whole song sounds like. Do we have the little intros from the uh, from Pfeiffer Pig and Fiddler Pig? Because I thought those were really cute. The Pfeiffer's, he's like, oh, I what is it? I toot my flute and I don't give a hoot. I'm and pretty like, sure that's in there. Love it. There, yeah, yeah, like there's there's obviously like, yeah, I have I have the uh, a version of it that's on one of the like Disney classics collection or whatever. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty sure it, it keeps that part. That's yeah. so cute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And two, so so if my understanding is correct, just one of the, uh, obviously not an animator, but someone who worked on the project just came up with this song. 
uh, yeah, Frank Churchill, who oh, who, oh, that's right. who composed the music for it, it. Also, Got it. Um, he was kind of he was one of the main uh, composers during that time period. Uh, Carl Stalling originally was the main Disney composer, but he left for a bit, and so Frank Churchill became the main one. Carl Stalling, I think, came back for a little bit, um, and I think he even did a little bit of the music in this. Um, but he, Carl Stalling, Stalling would eventually go on to become most well known for doing all the music in Looney Tunes, like mm-hmm. all of the classic music that ever comes to your head. That was it. That's Looney Tunes related is is him or renditions of classical stuff he did sometimes. But like he he becomes very well known for that. Um, okay. But yeah, right now it's Frank Churchill, and Frank Churchill ends up doing a. Uh, a lot of the music for some of the early movies and stuff too. I'm pretty sure he did it for like Pinocchio and stuff. Like, yeah, he's, he's a a big music guy over at Disney. Let's go on to the part that our podcast is named after. How's it hold up? So, uh, we watched the version of this that is on Disney plus, which fortunately did not have any sort of disclaimer ahead of it saying that it was true to the original version. Um, and then we watched, uh, a, a scene on YouTube from the original version with the original audio, which is notably degraded, uh, the audio, uh, as if it's not used much in modern things. Um, this short film has a scene, as we saw in the Disney Plus version, where the wolf comes to a do- to the door. He's in some sort of kind of disguise, and he's saying that he's the Fuller Brush Man. Um, he's talking in a voice that doesn't sound like the rest. The voice he uses the rest of the time, and uh, he tries to get in the door that way, and he fails. The original version of the scene um, still had him disguised as a, a fuller brush man, or I think he still refers to himself as, but he's also more obviously a Jewish peddler, complete with a fake nose, glasses, and beard disguise. He uh, uses his voice switches to a Yiddish accent, and the music during that scene incorporates a fiddle. Um, Social attitudes changed by the time the film was to be reissued in the late 40s, leading the Hayes office to demand the sequence be revised to omit the stereotypical aspects of the voice in disguise. Part of the reason for that change in social attitudes was because of the Holocaust. Mm. Worth noting. Uh, It takes a whole lot for social attitudes to change sometimes. The first revision was made in September 1947 by director Jack Hanna and kept the original dialogue track. And that is referring to the animation that we saw where he does not have the disguise anymore. Um, Later, the soundtrack was also revised with the Wolf's second line of dialogue changed to I'm working my way through college. And that is why you might have noticed that during that line it doesn't seem to fully sync up with his mouth movements and that's because he uh said the same thing originally as he did in the first one where he's said something about a free sample and if you look at his lips he's still clearly saying the free sample like you can see it uh but they changed it to i'm working my way through college and he has like a uh I don't even know what the voice is. He sounds very silly and dumb. Um, I wish they had chose something that matched the lips a little better because it's distracting to me every time. Uh, but yeah, there's there's multiple changes that happen to this. And that was in the 40s. <laughs> this, age, this, uh, this didn't hold up 10 years after it was made. And it's been like... Um, closer to a hundred now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, overall the short does, but that particular part did not. And it is good that they changed it because that was a bad choice. Yes. Um, so, yeah. And that brings me back to the song. Is this sort of thing in the song? Do they have to change that? I don't think the wolf sang during that part. So okay. no, I don't believe so. 
Um, no, uh, it's it's pretty much just the pigs that sing. the The wolf never really sings any of the songs. So. Okay. I don't think Billy Bletcher's on the the officially released track at all. So yeah, all of this has me also question like, uh, who and how people got paid for this? If it was so successful, what's the breakdown of the composer, the the voice actors on it? It's a um, great question. Just curious. I think Disney made a lot of money off of it. I'm not, sure he did. Not sure who else did. Yeah, I don't get why writers. Any, any of them are ever going, why put in stereotypes? Why? It's not... Because they think it's funny. <sighs> yeah, That's people, the answer. People found it funny. Yeah, they think yeah. it's funny, and they know that a lot of other people think it's funny. I mean, you're just going to ask this more and more with all the her heinous, constant black stereotypes that pop up for, like, a small joke in Warner Brothers and even MGM cartoons. Like, this... Unfortunately, uh, social attitudes changed towards uh, Jewish people in the forties, at least uh, in at least at least in 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 terms of this being unacceptable. Obviously, there's still anti-Semitism, and there was in the forties still, but um, it didn't change that much for Black people. <laughs> so that's going to keep being a thing for decades. Unfortunately, um, I just uh, I just don't get it. Yeah. It's people, people got hate in their hearts and they think it's funny. Yeah. I mean, I just, yeah. I, it's people, me, it's, yeah, it's, it's people so thinking that they're better than other people. Yeah. I just, it's, it's like these people are funny because they're different. Here's the way that they're different that we think is funny. And it's like they do the long nose to, to symbolize Jewish people because they're like, that's, that's not what normal people look like. That's ugly and makes it clear that you're a Jewish person. Uh, like that, that they do the, those lips on uh, black characters in animation because not to reflect actual black people, but to reflect the black face that was popular at the time that looked like that. Like in the black face, all of the, um, Minstrel shows was just completely about how stupid and dumb black people were. That was their whole thing. <laughs> they had like d- multiple different archetypes of stupidity too. They had a, multiple types of your stereotypical black person that were just like characters in their own right that would appear again and again in things. And that was a whole institution back then. Yeah, I guess I just even think of longevity and even, okay, if you, I mean, just even watching your, your dollars and cents, why you think that that is going to hold up. I, that's, I, I guess, mean, too, what it's makes also me incredulous. Friends in the 90s has tons of gay and transphobic jokes. Like, yeah. Yeah. it's, they're not... We can, in retrospect, look back and talk about how, like, obviously that was not going to hold up over time. But to them, they don't see it as an antiquated viewpoint that's going to lose cultural relevance as time goes on. As far as the people animating back then know, for one, they don't, they're probably not thinking much about longevity anyways, uh, because there's not, like... There's not a home video releases and stuff that stuff is more transient anyways. Once it's out of theaters, it's kind of gone unless they put it back in theaters. But like they're they're also like they don't have any reason in their heads to think that that's eventually not going to be funny anyways. Mm -hmm. Like and who knows if it ever stopped being funny then maybe they went to their deathbed still thinking that was hilarious. Who who can say? And it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Well, and you say. That people have hate in their hearts, and yes, there are people that do. 
But also, like, if you are a child watching this, mm-hmm. you're laughing because it is structured to make you laugh. Right. Or there is, like, a slapstick element that is funny in addition to this kind of social element. And then you learn to associate, like, okay, this thing must be funny. Yep. Without, you know, you don't know the implication of everything around it. And so then, you know, you might grow up and uh, still think it's funny until something corrects you and is like, no, that's actually very harmful. Uh, like you, you brought up even now uh, with friend stuff, kind of the more modern, like it, it wasn't, I don't know, a decade, two decades ago that you were using uh, gay negatively, using R, the R word in a derogatory way. It, it Having extended jokes that's just about how gross trans people are when you find out that, oh, this is a trans person. Yeah, and that's, you know, that particular has shifted not just 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. Like that's more recent Yep. still. But it's like uh, the the people that created the thing perpetuating those that stuff. The younger people internalizing it. But as we hopefully shift to a more accepting point of view that it, it, it gets phased out. And I don't want to create the assumption that we are just progressing positively because it's not, that's not true that it just gets better over time. I know there's it's a just, lot of people trying really hard to make it not get better right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a push and pull, but yeah, it's not just, a person who makes that joke is inherently bad. There's lots of stuff around it. Yeah. That could also mean that, like, if you're somebody who has laughed at that joke, you're not necessarily inherently bad. You just might have something to learn. And it's also uh, worth noting that um, I, I, the fact that in 1933, uh, the dominant society thought that this Jewish stereotype was funny doesn't doesn't yeah. mean everyone did. I'm sure that there were Jewish people who watched it in 1933 and did not like that joke and thought that it was hurtful. Yeah. Uh, because the people that are made fun of in these cartoons like this have always existed and are always going to end up seeing it uh, one way or another. It's It sucks. Anyways, let's get off of How's It Hold Up and let's go on to our favorites and least favorites. What was your least favorite moment in the short i i mean obviously the original version of the shorts um peddler scene is the worst part yeah but in terms of what's more uh generally available that version is is generally hard to find it is not really released anymore by disney uh so what outside of that i guess let's okay. say that is obviously that is the answer for all of us yes <laughs> but in terms of what's normally seen by people i'm still gonna go with that scene because it's really annoying how the lip sync doesn't work when he says i work i'm working my way through college and i don't find the voice that he's doing there very funny even if it's not necessarily offensive i'm gonna say that also but just also because i guess to me it was a little bit pointless and it in I don't know. It just seems silly, him opening the door and whatever, and seemed awfully kind of dangerous anyway. I'm surprised that the strength of the of the big bad wolf wasn't able to burst the chain or come through. So, I don't know. So, I, I, I like that scene the least. Yeah, I'd have to agree as well, mostly because of the the, the setups of to why 
he's trying to trick them. That that one's the weakest. And it made me, yeah, the, the kind of working my, my way through college just made me uh, get in my head about, like, you know, how does this work? I wonder how much college was. Like, is that, is that uh, <laughs> common? It just, it's taken you out of it. Yeah, yeah. And That's funny. Uh, but I do think it is characterful in terms of the practical pig opening the door, showing how, you know, trusting he is that his setup will protect him. So he's more willing to, to mess with the big bad wolf rather than just like hunker down and be like, nah, I'm good. I won't even worry about it. He's like, oh, sure. Let's see. And then he, you know, hits him on the head or whatever. Yeah. I like the end part, but like the the main him trying to trick part. Yeah. Oh, also another reason that the scene bothers me a little bit is that it's probably not that obvious to you guys, but I can tell that that animation's newer. I can tell that it's from the 40s, not the 30s. Actually, yeah, I was going to uh, mention in that one, his hands are different. Yeah, so, like, his face is different too. It looks more like he looks in the later shorts. Yeah, with his hands, at least after, I didn't notice it before this. In his hands, the edges of his fingers are more of like a flesh colored, but in that scene, it's mostly black with the bottom of his hands being that flesh color. So there are times when his hands um, uh, are obscured because it's black on black. Um, that that isn't a problem in the other ones because they've they've taken that flesh color to the edges so that. It is obvious where his hands are. So, so yeah, I noticed the difference, too, um, oh. in the scene and then after. But I didn't realize from before that it more meshed with the after because that scene is new and different. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. I, it just didn't make sense, whatever, him trying to pedal. And then, I don't know, was it some kind of brush or something that... He's the fuller brush man. Oh, okay, this He's working his way yeah. through college. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like when magazine sales people used to come and be like... Um, I'm almost, I'm almost got my trip to Hawaii. And I thought, why am I going to give you money so you can go to Hawaii? I don't know you person. <laughs> it's just like, that's not much of a motivation for me. Like, and if you're like sitting there, like, you know, I'm trying to pay for my child's, you know, college or I'm, or someone needs an operation. I mean, you know, that would be one they thing. They got to work on the, on how endearing they are. It's yeah. like, you know what? I like you. I do want you to go to Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> what was your favorite moment in the short? I think for me, it might have been how the practical pig kept like playing dramatic piano music to underscore the wolf's attempts to blow the place down, like just fully mocking him with a piano. Mm, it's pretty. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's good. <laughs> yeah. And then um, and along with that scene, I don't remember what then the practical pig played, but basically he, he teased his siblings into like that the the. the Big Bad Wolf was coming back. And oh, he just knocked back on the, the piano. Oh, he knocked on it. Oh, okay, okay, that's what it was. All right. That w- that was after, though. But. Okay, okay. But yeah, I did really enjoy the p- the piano playing and and all that interaction because then it would also kind of like pan to the, the ones under the bed, but then the pictures on the wall, all that good stuff. Yeah, the, uh, the scene where the Pfeiffer pig is introduced, I liked his little intro the best. Nice. Who was your least favorite character? I mean, I guess, I guess the the Pfeiffer and Fiddler Pig, they're they're the the ones who need to learn the lesson and are therefore the most obnoxious. I specifically like the Fiddler Pig the least. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Can explain, explain. Again, I like the Pfeiffer's okay, intro that the best. Okay, that gives enough so points. so they're not equal. Gotcha. <laughs> Fiddler the least. I'm actually going to second that uh, Fiddler the least because I just mean the Pfeiffer. It was, I did like the Fiddler pig trying to hold up in his door and then realizing that there was nothing around him other than the door he was holding up. But I like the whole thing. Pfeiffer was also helping at that point. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, but I just like the whole thing with Pfeiffer, you know, running, not quite almost, oh, grabbing his little, even his little mat that said welcome and, and going in there and then mm-hmm. seeing that all of his little furniture was against the door. So I think he was the more interesting of those two. Well, I'm going to give Fiddler points because Fiddler plays the fiddle and I used to play the violin so <laughs> they're equally bad for me <laughs> but no yeah where the uh, Pfeiffer pig like pulls the welcome mat he's that like you funny. are unwelcome yes. <laughs> yes, don't get yes. it twisted it's like, I, can't, yes. I can't leave this you'll think you're welcome I know I know, I know. it's like whoa you're a man you are not if you have a welcome mat in front of your door and a vampire goes to it can they go in because the welcome mat is welcoming them in? It's a great question. <laughs> Who was your favorite character of the short? Uh, uh, Practical Pig, because I liked his decor. That was really yes. funny. He's a little stinker. He's a yes. little stinker. But he's a hard worker. Work yeah. hard, play hard. Yeah, you know? yeah. I respect that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> He taught us so many life lessons. Like you said, primarily work hard, play hard. Yes, I am going to second that. Practical pig. You're so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This isn't going to be surprising. My choice is going to be the big bad wolf. You know, you know, you guys know I like villains. Oh yeah, and he's a great villain. Yeah, yeah, good good choice. Yeah, and he's he's the most iconic character in this, I think. Um, And plus. Uh, Billy Bletcher voicing him gets Billy Bletcher voicing Pete, and I love Billy Bletcher as Pete, so. Yeah, that's so cool. Let's go on to our overall consensus and what we would rate it. This one is harder or interesting, because like I mentioned before, this wasn't especially standout, because like I'm used to the things that were innovative and and uh, impactful at that time. So I think I'll have to inflate inflate it knowing what I know now from from your like fun facts and things <laughs> uh, I, I'll have to like uh, give it give it a curve in that sense you don't have to I don't know but if you can give it something more true to how you feel but also say you should watch it because it's historically significant and that's and good and like not even not even historically significant but a slog to get through like you know it's enjoyable yeah I mean I guess in that sense. I don't. I can't remember significant ones, but bad ones <laughs> that we've watched. Uh, Some of the like m- really, really old animation stuff is not necessarily something you're gonna rewatch for fun. That's fair. Uh, but it's it's a solid short. There are lots of things to like about it. Uh, you're not gonna see the the racist scene, most likely. Um, you'd, you'd have to seek it out. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to do some work. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely recommend it, and I will rate it a 4.25. So on par with Snow White? I guess, yes. Hmm. Okay, I will definitely recommend it. I'm going to rate it a, a 4.0. But yeah, good solid good solid short. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I like it. It's very good. I'll give it a 3.5. I've just seen way more cartoons than you guys have, including the sequels to this short. Um 
yeah, I, I like it, but it's not one that I'm going to come back to again and again and again. But like in terms of watching cartoons because they're historically significant, this one's not difficult to get through. Like it's it's enjoyable. It still holds up for the most part outside of what we've talked about. Um, and yeah, it's cute. And it's uh, Billy Bletcher, you know? <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> and a good song. Good song. Thank you all very much for listening. Thank, Thank you. Next time we'll watch some other short. I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> I have I have uh, the Christmas break to figure it out because we're recording this before Christmas, even though we are releasing it after. Uh, but anyways. Hope you had a good Christmas. Yeah, yeah. hope you had a good time. <laughs> yes, hope um, so. But I haven't figured it out yet. I'll figure it out before it's relevant. <laughs> Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy New Year. Bye. Yeah, bye. <laughs> bye. This has been How's It Hold Up with Danica Juarez and Jan James. You can find our podcast on Twitter at How's It Hold Up Pod. That's with each word capitalized and no apostrophe. Also, if you'd like to support us, we have a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash user question mark U equals 2790566. Every little bit helps and even with a minimum pledge, you get access to things you won't hear in our main podcast feed. Check it out for more info. The two pieces of music used in this episode were created by Kevin McLeod. You can find both The Curtain Rises and Cool Cats at incomptech.com. That's I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H.com. Both songs were licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. More info on that can be found at http colon slash slash creativecommons.org slash licenses slash by slash 3.0. Thanks for listening. Okay, okay. I need to rein in this chaos a little bit. <laughs> Y'all need to calm down. <laughs> so, yeah, this one. Wait, actually. Uh, but.